Welcome to the Northbound Wealth Podcast. All opinions expressed by me, my co-hosts, or my guests are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Northbound Wealth Management, LLC. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment, tax, or legal advice, or as a solicitation to offer or buy any securities. Clients of Northbound Wealth Management, LLC may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hey, this is Brent Foster, your host of the Northbound Wealth Weekly Market Insights Podcast and founder and CEO of Northbound Wealth Management. Today is October 17th. Stocks were mixed last week amid intra and intraday price swings as technology shares bore the brunt of the downdraft. The Dow Jones Industrial Average gained 1.15% for the week. Meanwhile, the S&P 500 slipped 1.55%. And the NASDAQ Composite Index dropped 3.11%. The MSCI EFA Index, which tracks developed overseas stock markets, lost 2.48%. So what's that mean for the Dow? Well, last week it closed out at 29,634. That's down 18.45% for the year. The NASDAQ closed at 10,321. That's down 34.03% for the year. MSCI EFA closed at 1,651, which is down 29.30% for the year. And the S&P 500 closed at 3,583, which is down 24.82% for the year. The 10-year Treasury note closed at 4%. That's up 11 basis points for the week, closing out uh, year-to-date up 2.48%. So we've got breathtaking volatility, meaning this is a a high-volatility market. Uh, It also signifies that we're in a bear market, and now the debate is around recession and stuff like that. I've already said on this podcast, I believe we're already in one, just people take their sweet time in recognizing that and actually saying it because... Certain data points um, don't maybe match up exactly the way they think or or, or look at markets and, and, and able to determine a recession. But just look around you, see what's going on, um, and it's pretty uh, pretty commonsensical to look at and understand that uh, sentiment and uh, our economy is contracting and slowing down. Um, let's see. So and above. Uh, consensus consumer inflation numbers sent stocks tumbling in early Thursday trading last week before inexplicably surging higher to in a stunning reversal that saw the Dow Jones Industrial Average rally 1,500 points from its intraday low. Before reversing, stocks had touched levels last seen in 2020. Friday surrendered much of the previous day's gains, sending stocks mostly lower for the week. The stock market began the week on a volatile note with the NASDAQ hitting a two-year low. Recession fears and new export controls may limit U.S. companies from selling advanced semiconductor chips and related manufacturing equipment to China. We've already talked about that, what's going on in China over in previous podcasts. Sticky inflation. Um, September's inflation reports provided little evidence that inflation was moderating meaningfully. The producer price index first report on inflation showed the 0.4% increase in supplier prices over August and an 8.5% increase 12 months ago. While 
down from August's 8.7% rise, it was higher than the market expected or their expectations. The subsequent release of the consumer price index showed consumer prices rising 0.4% in September and 8.2% year over year. More troubling was core inflation, which excludes energy and food prices. That gained 0.6% uh, in September and registered an increase of 6.6% from a year ago, the biggest 12-month increase since August of 1982. So this week, uh, busy week on uh, key economic data. We got industrial production on Tuesday, housing starts Wednesday, Thursday, existing home sales, jobless claims, index of leading economic indicators. This week, companies reporting earnings. Uh, Monday, Bank of America, they did really well. Charles Schwab, they're doing fine. Tuesday, Netflix, uh, Johnson & Johnson, Goldman Sachs, Wednesday, Tesla, United Airlines, IBM, Procter & Gamble, Lamb Research, and Abbott Labs. Thursday, AT&T, CSX Corp, Union Pacific, and then Freeport, uh, Mac Moran. And then Friday, you got Verizon, HCA Healthcare, and American Express. So busy week in earnings. Uh, it'll be, um, I, I think it'll be kind of mixed as to how companies report and then guide. And then uh, analysts across the board, they all seem to be like reducing price uh, their price targets for this year and next year. And, um, you know, that's a reflection also of uh, the the economic environment that we're in, given the Fed raising rates. So um, also, by the way, just a note on that, they the Fed's probably going to raise another 150 basis points by the end of the year. So we'll uh, we'll have to continue to monitor, monitor those developments as we have been over the past 17 weeks. Um, let's see, here we go. Tax tip for the week. This goes out to all you employers out there and independent contractors. Should you classify your workers as employees or independent contractors? I don't know if you guys, you, you've all been watching, but you've seen what's been developing, uh, in California with Uber and Lyft and some of these other, um, uh, ride hailing companies. So you got, you might, uh, hire employees and independent contractors for similar work, but there are, important differences in how they're classified. Here are a few questions to think about. Uh, number one, does the company have the right to control what the worker does and how the worker does the job? Number two, does the business director control the financial and business aspects of the worker's job? Number three, are the business aspects of the worker's job controlled by the payer? Number four, are there written contracts or employee type benefits such as a pension plan, insurance, and vacation pay? And number six, will the relationship continue and is the work performed a key aspect of the business? So correctly classifying your workers is essential to avoid issues with taxes or liability or the IRS. This information, again, is not intended to be a substitute for specific indiv individualized tax advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific tax issues with, with a tax qualified professional. Today's October 17th. I want to give you guys a quick mortgage rate update. I like to go out to Zillow for this. As of October 12th, here are some... Uh, Interest rates that borrowers were quoted on Zillow for 30-year fixed mortgages. Um, so check this out. 
As of October 12th, the rate borrowers were quoted on Zillow for a 30-year fixed mortgage was 6.68%. So um, let's take a look at today's uh, average rates for conventional loans. Again, 30-year, 6.68%. Um, that was on October 12th. This is the uh, This is the rate on October 17th, which is today. Um, the 30-year fixed rate is at 6.84%, 20-year fixed, 6.9%, 15-year fixed, 5.77%, 10-year fixed, 5.93%, 7-1-arm is 6.5%, 5-1-arm is 6.31%, and um, that's basically all I'm going to quote on conventional loans. Here's the average rates for government loans, so if you're looking for an FHA, a VA, something like that. 30-year fixed rate is 6.63% uh, for an FHA. And for a VA loan, it's 6.19%. 15-year FHA is a 5.38%. 15-year fixed VA is 5.66. Uh, 5-1 arm for the FHA is 4.25. 5-1 arm for a, a VA loan is 5.25%. So here are the average rates for jumbo loans. 30-year fixed jumbo is 6.57%. 20-year fixed, 6.2%. 15-year fixed, 6.23%. 10-year fixed on a jumbo, 5.91%. A 7-in-1 arm, 5.97%. Uh, 5-1 is 5.99. And a 3-1 jumbo is 4%. Interest rates... And on, on all of these loan structures are high. Um, prices uh, after the pandemic just rocketed up. And in the last four months, we've seen a decline uh, in price um, that actually surpasses the decline in price um, decline as far as a rate of change uh, since 2009. If the Fed pauses and 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 stops raising interest rates, then you might see some things plateau. But um, the key the key thing that I'm looking at as far as mortgage rates is um, how long are like for example the 30 year fixed. How long is it going to stay up? If it's going to stay up for a, a a very long period of time, that's going to cause price to come down even more than where we I think. The, the, where the consensus is at this point, um, getting back to whatever we call normal, um, we could see an overshoot of that if um, if we just go on years and years and years and years where mortgage rates are, say, seven on the 30-year fixed for a long, long period of time. So um, we'll be tracking uh, the economics around uh, the housing market, uh, residential housing, commercial real estate, um, and I'll be providing updates from time to time on that. Um, but because it is part of almost every investor's life, whether you're renting because rents are high and staying high, or if you're looking to buy or um, sell real estate, if you're looking to buy investment properties and diversify your portfolios into real estate, it is a conversation we need to have. And from time to time, I'll be updating you guys on where things are at, at least from a broad macro sense. Uh, all right. I hope you enjoyed that segment. Thanks. From National Association of Real
blogs, and it's written by one of their economists, Nadia Evangelou. On October 6th, commercial real estate is slowing down in the third quarter of 2022. So after the strong rebound for the U.S. economy in 2021, growth in 2022 has slowed in the face of rising inflation, the household income squeeze, and geopolitical events. While the economy continues to deal with elevated inflation, data shows a slowdown in the growth of commercial real estate. Demand for apartments and office spaces is lower compared to previous quarters. So demand for apartments and rent growth decelerates. While the industrial boom continues to show no signs of stopping, multifamily absorption and rent growth are decelerating. Multifamily absorption in the last four quarters was below the pre-pandemic levels in the range of 60,000 to 70,000 units. In the meantime, rents rose year over year at a slower pace by less than double digit percentage for the last two quarters. However, government data shows that rent growth is accelerating. Why don't private and government data uh, sets align? The Consumer Price Index, which provides information about rent inflation, uses data from the Com Consumer Expenditure Survey, CES, to determine the level of prices for goods and services. Well, this is a survey. Most renters report the rent they have locked in earlier. As a report, rent changes may take months to show up in government data. In contrast, the private sector publishes the listed rents, current rent prices. Thus, government data will likely show a decelerating trend in rent prices after several months. However, multifamily housing demand remains relatively strong given rising mortgage rates and home prices. People may be forced to rent for longer due to decreasing affordability, right? high prices. The office sector continues to struggle amid hybrid work conditions. As the country navigates hybrid work, the office sector continues to struggle. In, in, the, in the third quarter of 22, about 1.34 million more square feet of office space was vacant and placed on the market than were leased. Although more people returned to their offices after four quarters with positive net absorption, demand for office space dropped as net absorption turned negative again. As a result, the market's net demand for office spaces decreased relative to supply and the vacancy rate rose to 12.4% in the third quarter of this year from 12.3% in the previous quarter. Uh, Meanwhile, the office sector has the highest vacancy rate across all sectors of commercial real estate markets. Demand for retail spaces has remained positive for seven straight quarters. Retail sales, excluding gas, auto, and non-store retailers, advanced to $383 billion in August, a 19% increase from pre-pandemic levels as of August 2019. As a result, net absorption increased to 23.3 million square feet in the third quarter of 2022, a 22% increase from the second quarter. Meanwhile, neighborhood retail that offers in-person services continues to advance even faster. Net absorption for neighborhood centers rose by 35 percentage points compared to the year's second quarter. The industrial sector shows no signs of stopping. The industrial sector continues to outperform. Demand is robust as net absorption was nearly 425 million square feet. 
in the last 12 months, ending in the, the September 30th, 2022. Although demand may have tapered, the volume of industrial space absorbed continues to be double that of pre-pandemic times. As a result, this sector has had the lowest vacancy rate at 4% of any other sector in the commercial real estate market. As demand remains strong, rent growth of industrial spaces continues at historic highs, rising by double-digit percentages, 12% in the third quarter of 2022. Meanwhile, rents are rising faster or even faster for logistics space by 13.5% year over year. That's hot. Uh, hotel occupancy rose during the summer, but remained below pre-pandemic levels. Several factors go into evaluating the performance of the hotel sector. The three most prevailing measures are the occupancy rate, average daily rate, and revenue per available room. First, the occupancy rate shows how many rooms are occupied. Thus, a higher occupancy rate translates to higher demand. Second, the ADR uh, measures how much revenue is made per occupied room, while the RevPAR shows the revenue per available room. So data shows that these three factors increased in the last three months ending in August compared to the same period a year ago. Hotel occupancy rose to 68.7% from 66.3%. ADR increased to $155 per room from $137 per room. And Rev Wrap went up to uh, $107 per room from $91 per room. However, hotel occupancy remains below the pre-pandemic levels as inflation remains elevated. Hotel occupancy was above 70% during the same period in 2019. Inflation, interest rates, supply chain woes, and geopolitical events are the main factors that will determine how commercial real estate will perform in the fo following months. The National Association of Realtors will keep you informed about monthly developments on commercial real estate. So Nadia Evangelou is the Senior Economist and Director of Forecasting uh, for the National Association of Realtors. Thank you for listening to the Northbound Wealth Management Weekly Market Insights with your host, Brent Foster, founder and CEO of Northbound Wealth Management. Until next week, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon.